Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by HelloFresh, the meal kit service dedicated to making cooking fun, easy, and convenient. They source the freshest ingredients, measure to the exact quantity needed so there is no food waste, all delivered to your doorstep in a special insulated box for free. For 50% off of your first box, visit hellofresh.ca slash CanadaLand and enter the promo code CanadaLand when you subscribe. And this episode is brought to you by Paytm. You already get cashback rewards and points and air miles on your credit card purchases. Why not get points on your bill payments? That is what Paytm does. You get points every time you pay a bill and you can exchange those points for cards that are as good as cash. You can get 10% off of gas at Esso, 100% cash back on Apple AirPods, a bunch of other things too. Those points are on top of whatever rewards you're already getting from your credit cards or whatever. Double your rewards when you pay your bills with Paytm. Visit paytm.ca. Amira Al-Gawabi, journalist whose writing you can read in the Globe and Mail, Toronto Star, also human rights advocate formerly with the National Council of Canadian Muslims. Welcome. Hey, how's it going? It's good. Today we are going to talk about the indoctrination of Alexandra Bissonnette. And I also want to talk with you about Facebook's adorable relationship with the federal government of Canada. They get along so well. It's good to have you here. Yeah, well, thanks so much. It's great to be here. Okay, this episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Jessica O'Sullivan, Rotem Petranker, Brian Koo, Jessica Huang, Lisa Laducer, Jean-Viev Bruin, Michael Cooper, and Molly Cronin. Hi, I'm Molly Cronin, and I'm a freelance arts writer and cartoonist from Halifax. I support Canada Land because as a young person preparing to vote in the last federal election, Canada Land Commons was vital in helping me make informed political decisions. 
And since then, I've known I can count on Canada Land to deliver thoughtful, funny, scathing critiques of Canada's old white boys' clubs and institutions, as well as bring insider knowledge to the conversation, all while centering important marginalized voices. And Amira, this episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. It is brought to you by Harissa Spice Chicken with chickpea mash and parsley lemon crema. That's what they're serving this week if you sign up for these meal kits. And I have to say, that is a level of home cooking game that exceeds what I am likely <laughs> to throw together on a Wednesday night. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, my daughter, my 14-year-old daughter would be all over that. I mean, that is, like, nothing about that should be beyond, like, you know, making a chickpea mash. I mean, maybe making a parsley lemon crema. That's not, like, my meal planning when I'm at the grocery store and just figuring what am I going to throw together. But, hell yeah, I would like to have the ingredients for that delivered to my door in a box, the perfect amount of ingredients so I don't have to throw anything out. Locally sourced and fresh ingredients, that would be awesome. And I have received these boxes from HelloFresh. And definitely those are nights when the recipes, and recipes that work, by the way, are next level. So, if this sounds good to you, you can try it out and get half off by visiting hellofresh.ca slash CanadaLand and use the promo code CanadaLand. Check it out. Give it a try. Use the promo code CanadaLand when you subscribe at hellofresh.ca slash CanadaLand. Okay, Amira, today we are going to, I think, begin to talk about what we are learning about Alexandra Bissonnette and I think that this is the most important media story of the last year. I mean, more than a year. It's been more than a year since the massacre at the Quebec City Mosque. And it's taken this long for us to reach clarity on the role that Bissonnette's media consumption played in this awful event. Why don't I get your thoughts on just what we've learned through the court proceedings this week? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we had a little bit of uh, inkling about how serious, you know, his media consumption was when all of this first happened and the massacre occurred and people were trying to understand, you know, what was the motivation that led to this terrible tragedy. But definitely this week when we had, you know, like dozens of websites that uh, Bissonnette visited, just it's like a smorgasbord of really sickening, conspiracy-filled, hateful websites, you know, of, of some pretty well-known, uh, you know, alt-right, white supremacists. You got Richard Spencer on the list, you know, Ann Coulter, uh, Tucker Carlson, who will often, you know, kind of just, just deal with a lot of um, conspiracy theories. You know, it's just like, it's almost this this awful parade, you know, of people, David Dukes there, uh, of people who are really just, you know, this is their life. They just perpetuate all of these terrible narratives about all sorts of things. And definitely when it comes to Muslims, there is not a, a nice thing that will pass their lips. So it really is confirming, you know, the very worst of what many of us uh, were thinking that, you know, this young man, um, pretty vulnerable guy, isolated, socially awkward, um, you know, turning to these websites for, you know, the views that he should, I guess, hold of the, of the world. And when he saw, you know, the prime minister, Justin Trudeau, tweet out that he wanted to welcome immigrants to Canada. Canada after, you know, been feeding on this awful diet of xenophobia and immigrant hating, you know, he just lost it. You know, he says it himself, like, I lost my mind. And he didn't want a Canada to become like Europe. And definitely what Europe uh, is portrayed as is being as this, you know, terrible place that's been overrun by immigrants, specifically by Muslims. And so he's definitely, you know, accepted that. And it just it just set him off. I mean, just to get to this point where we know who he is and what he believed has been more than a year of 
obfuscation denial obstacle. And I want to contextualize that for people. I want to remind people that right when this happened, there was so much obfuscation and pushback to those of us who were trying to find out about this guy. And we saw that he had Crusader Dus Volt imagery, the same kind that Faith Goldie has of the new Crusades in his social media, that reporters found that he had a reputation as an anti-feminist troll, that Marine Le Pen, the far-right uh, French politician who he liked on Facebook after Le Pen visited Quebec, Bissonnette started to inherit a lot of this bigoted language, we were told. It's not like this is a huge shocker to learn this now, but I want to remind people that those of us who said, well, if it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, if, if it clicks like a duck, it's probably a duck. And it has been nothing but 15 months of denial from people saying, oh, why are you leaving out the fact that he also liked Jack Layton and the NDP on his Facebook page? Mm -hmm. That doesn't mm -hmm. tell us mm -hmm. anything. You're making yeah. this up. And even to yeah. get to that point, there was a narrative that preceded that, that because the police arrested a university student at the scene of the crime, a university student of Moroccan descent who came to provide first aid to a friend, and that person was held incorrectly uh, as, as a suspect, and false reports came out of that. That led to a flurry of trutherism and conspiracy theory that lives on to this day of people who feel that, in fact, this was some sort of Islamist fundamentalist crime and that the government, for some bizarre reason, is complicit in hushing it up. And you even have mainstream commentators like Tarek Fatah, who's a columnist for the Toronto Sun, who has not deleted tweets saying that, what he said, Alexandra was not alone. His Muslim accomplice has been made state witness to avoid any talk of Muslim-on-Muslim -Muslim terror. So we who wanted to know why this happened had to look past those conspiracy theories and that trutherism, which still has planted a seed of doubt that maybe, in many people's minds, that maybe this whole thing is not as it seems. And then we had to push back through everyone saying, well, don't make too much of his face book likes. Mm -hmm. He's liked things on both sides to get to this point where lo and behold, in his own words, we know why he did it. Yeah. He told the cops why he did it because he was afraid that what happened in Europe with Islamist crime would happen here. He did it and he says he did it because he saw TV news reports telling him that Justin Trudeau was welcoming the refugees who Trump was banning. And That's I, right. I think yeah. we should talk about that, too. You know, I think what's shameful in all of this and how it all unfolded in Canada is that right from the get go, as you know, as all Canadians were really, you know, generally very much shocked, obviously, by this tragedy. And, and there were thousands of people that came out to rallies and, and, you know, very much felt for the Quebec Muslim community, those families of the six men who were killed and the others who were severely injured. But in the midst of all that, when there was a discussion on Parliament Hill about, um, you know, how we address uh, religious discrimination, including Islamophobia, some politicians in a particular political party spent so much time, you know, trying to deny what, you know, people experiencing Islamophobia, this irrational fear and hatred that is evident in all these websites that Bizanet was, was consuming. This is what we're talking about. This is we're talking about the fact that whether you visit these websites or whether, as I pointed out in a recent piece in The Globe, you're even, you know, just consuming mainstream. The fact remains that Muslims in the media landscape are are so frequently portrayed um, as the other, as a threat, as negative, that even, you know, a recent poll here said that um, over 46% of Canadians view Islam as damaging mm -hmm. to this country, right? So it's in the public space. And then, of course, if people like Bizanette are searching out these alt-right places where they're trying to find, you know, a narrative for themselves, you know, this guy didn't know where he fit. And he, just like many other people who become socially isolated, try to find a place where he can fit. And it's sad that he had to look to find that place with these types 
of attitudes and narratives. And, you know, he actually reminded me when I was reading through, you know, what he was talking about, a little bit of Anders Breivik. I don't know if you remember. Of course. Um, yeah, right. The Norwegian uh, mass murderer terrorist who, you know, he wrote a, a terrible manifesto a few years ago after shooting and killing 69 young people who were participating at a, at a camp on an island in Norway. Um, he wrote a manifesto where he was imagining what Europe was going to look like, you know, in the future. And it was all consisting of a lot of sort of the Islamophobic figures that we talk about, Pamela Gellers of the world, you know, the Spencers of the world, and even Doug Saunders of the Globe and Mail got him writing a, a book called The Myth of the Muslim Tide, where he talks about these types of narratives and tropes that are frequently being used that are not new to the world, that have been used before about the Jewish people, about Italians, Irish, different groups, the Japanese, Chinese, you know, uh, black people throughout history in an effort to promote propaganda. And so this is not new, but what's really distressing is that, you know, anyone now with a computer monitor can go onto almost any platform and find these types of hateful, hateful views. You bring up so many really relevant points here, and it's just taken so long to be able to get to talk about this, even, and I think this is the beginning of, of a talk about how media consumption leads to these things, and there's there's already people moving the line, moving the goalposts, and saying, okay, you've proven that he's alt-right affiliated, you've proven that he's a Trump supporter, but so what? He was obviously just crazy, and you can't blame these people for this. And a couple of things I want to focus on. One is, you began by listing some of the, his media diet, and, and the worst of the worst, the Richard Spencers, the, the outright neo-Nazis. It also included, you know, you get towards your Gavin McInnes of The Rebel, that was on his list. Right. You know, Ben Shapiro is a far-right figure who was top on his list. Ben Shapiro, of course, mm-hmm. I think without any evidence, contests the idea that radicalization is in the you know very tiny minority of Muslims. And he claims without evidence that 50 percent, that 800 million Muslims are radicalized. So we can look at these sort of, you know, call them deplorables, call them radicals. But it is consistent with a mainstream message that Bissonnette was also consuming. Trump's message is a mainstream message. Stephen Harper's message about barbaric cultural practices was a mainstream message from the Prime Minister of Canada. Absolutely. You know, and so to live in this imaginary Canada that is co-signed by his prime minister, that is co-signed by mm-hmm. this expansive media diet that blinds him to the fact that he lives in a country where Muslims pose him no risk whatsoever, where he peacefully coexists with Muslims, with thousands and thousands of That's Muslim right. neighbors, is, right. I think, a modern, I don't know, is it modern? I mean, you, you know, you bring up, like, this is a age-old othering, and you can convince, and this is the second thing I want to talk about. Amira, you point to the fact that he says, okay, Trudeau's tweet and the idea that we we're going to welcome all these refugees, and that's what made him lose his mind, and that's how he put it, that that's when he snapped. And we know that he was treated for anxiety. Mm -hmm. And the alt-right voices that I'm getting pushback from now have moved the goalposts to say, okay, yes, he associated with a lot of our causes, but he's obviously just crazy. Mm -hmm. He's obviously, Mm -hmm. it's mental illness. It's not Mm -hmm. about an ideology. And I think that obviously this is, it is crazy to live in a country like Canada and think that you have to go kill people at worship. That is, I don't mean to offend anyone with, I don't know what the proper terminology here is. The way that we other that by calling it crazy is what I'm referring to. That is a psychotic conclusion. But I I think it's just as relevant for us to talk about the fact that his ideology made perfect sense to him. And we can't divorce what he did from an ideology, which is a popular mainstream ideology Mm -hmm. that led him to do this. And that, yes, this person was damaged. And yes, you know, maybe he would have found 
found some, I don't know, we used to blame Marilyn Manson for these things. Maybe you just find something to pin it on. You're going to do it either way. Mm-hmm. But I, but I, mm-hmm. but history has shown us that no, ideologies rise that lend credibility and purpose and the idea of glory to damaged people who are searching for something to believe in. And then it does become relevant to talk about the ideology itself and the propagation of that ideology. It's a relief just to be able to state the obvious, which is that these things have to do with each other, you know? That's right. And I think what's missing here is that, you know, every sort of platform, every media outlet, every politician, like everybody has a responsibility. And it's not good enough to say, well, if someone, you know, is mentally ill or unstable, you know, we're not responsible for that. No, you are responsible for making sure that what you're saying, the attitudes that you're promoting are not going to fuel the very conspiracies that some people might latch on to. So for instance, you point out, you know, Stephen Harper made such a big deal about a woman who wanted to wear a face veil to a citizenship oath, you know, one or two of like millions of people who go take their citizenship oaths all the time. And this had to become like the leading story during a federal election. Or when Harper said that, you know, Islamicism, which is a made up word, is Mm -hmm. the biggest risk to Canada, right? So politicians have a role. The media, even the mainstream media, like we, we had called on media outlets to stop using the term Islamic State to describe the terrorists um, and their actions. Why? Because every single time, like me and my kids are on, you know, in the car listening to the radio, and we hear Islamic State does this, that. First of all, my kids are like, that's not Islam. They know it's not Islam, but other people don't realize that, and they keep thinking, well, wow, th- this is what Islam is teaching, whereas Daesh is actually the more accurate name, and the Toronto Star is the only media outlet that actually changed using Islamic State all the time, even after the federal government decided to only use Daesh like other foreign governments only use Daesh to describe these terrorists. Because you don't want to bolster their claim that they're Islamic, because they're not, and you don't want to bolster their claim that they're a state, because they're a wannabe. So these types of things is where the mainstream media have a role to play. They have to think about how people are being impacted. And this report that just came out of the U.S. called Equal Treatment by the, um, it's called the Institute of Social Policy Understanding, they actually did analysis both of media and of legal sentences of people who are accused of different crimes. And like the disproportionality is insane. Like you've got, you know, 770% more coverage of failed plots involving Muslims than of any other type of perpetrator. And then Muslims will get three times higher sentences than those who are not Muslim in exact similar plots. So there's a complete disproportionality here and it's not fair. And clearly it's dangerous and it has led to these fatal consequences. Consequences. Yeah, and and I think that the, the narrative that he was consistent with is one that is not. It's reflected in, in the criminal justice system as well. And and here, exactly, I, I, you know, uh, Les Pro of the Globe and Mail. I think his reporting on this was so acute. The way he wrote this, I think, is, is to be applauded. I'll quote here: His act was born of fear of Muslims and involved violence with a political motive which is the dictionary definition of yes. terrorism. However, yes. prosecutors declined to charge him with that crime. And then we learned that when the cops brought up the idea that he might be charged with terrorism, Bissonette seemed insulted and said, mm-hmm. I'm not a terrorist, said Bissonette. And guess what? The cops agree with him that he's not a terrorist. They didn't charge him yeah. with that. You know, yeah. There's a, a consistent narrative that it's not just on the radical fringes. The man who attacked the Quebec City mosque thought he could save people from terrorism. At least that's what Alexandre Bissonette told police after the shooting. A video of the interrogation was shown in court today. First, there was the shooting on Parliament Hill in 2014. 
Then there was the attack in Nice, France, in 2016. 86 people killed when a terrorist drove through crowds on Bastille Day. During his interrogation, Alexandre Bissonnette revealed those deadly attacks triggered his own dark thoughts. On January 29, 2017, Bissonnette was watching the news during the day. What he saw disturbed him. Bissonnette believed he and his family were in danger. He told the interrogator he chose to target the mosque because he wanted to save people from terrorist attacks. There's another aspect of this which I got a lot of pushback from, and it's much more delicate because it's one thing to say what responsibility does Stephen Harper bear for this? Not a direct one, but in creating this culture, and a lot of Harper uh, fans or people say that's ridiculous, Jesse. The only person who bears any responsibility for this is Bissonette. And other people said, no, of course that, that context matters. I also had critical words for Justin Trudeau. And I feel like there is a two sides of the same coin thing happening here with Trump, where you have politicians and leaders who are immensely powerful, who are more interested in the optics of things than the reality of them. And so Trump issues a refugee ban, which was illegal and did not actually have any consistency with any kind of policy that was in place and was later ruled ruled to be illegal. And then you have Trudeau, who has positioned himself as the anti-Trump, tweeting in a very misleading tweet that I immediately said, this is a terribly irresponsible tweet, this suggestive tweet saying that if you are a refugee who's fleeing all horrible mm-hmm. situations, Canada will welcome you, which was reported by PBS and other as evidence that Canada would directly be taking those turned away by Trump, which is not true. Mm-hmm. So Trump was mm-hmm. bullshitting and then Trudeau was bullshitting. And then we hear from Bissonnette that that was, it was the day after Trudeau tweeted that. And he says that hearing a TV news report, and I'm very curious to hear which TV news report, because I'm not aware of a TV news report that reported that as fact. I'm aware of a PBS news report. But it was that misinformation, that confusion yeah. that Trudeau put, and that was a wide reaching implication to that tweet. We know that people showed up at the Canadian border thinking that that was actually consistent with Canadian policy. We know that from internal government emails, the National Post tipped that Canadian consulates around the world were flooded with refugees and refugee requests by people who thought that that was actually Canadian policy. And now we know that Bissonnette, uh, what sparked him, and I'm not saying that Justin Trudeau is responsible for this massacre, but I want to know your thoughts. I feel that when you play that fast and loose with optics and with reality, it can and will have a tangible real world impact. And I think that responsibility, I would suggest there is some shared culpability for this and that Justin Trudeau shares some of it. Well, look, I mean, politics is politics, right? And it's unfortunate that Muslims got in the, you know, in the middle of this one and immigrants get in the middle of this one and refugees. They are most, the most vulnerable sometimes in our communities are the ones that are, you know, sort of being used as political kind of pawns in this wider sort of effort to win support. And I don't think that there was any obviously like bad intent on the tweet that we saw from Justin Trudeau from the prime minister. I think, you know, a lot of people welcomed that tweet. And I think it was in that moment, I remember it very well, in that moment, There was so much anxiety among people from all around the world, basically saying, you know, that they were very fearful. What is, you know, what is Trump's, you know, this new policy mean? What does this ban mean? And there was so much anxiety and people were really worried. And I think in that moment, seeing that tweet, and it's it's easy to kind of look at it now in retrospect, but at that moment, a lot of people needed to see something like that. It was like opening a window uh, in a house that felt like it was about to, you know, just completely consume us. And I think that that's the difficulty is that when identity politics or when you've got issues of immigration and vulnerable communities and, and, and all of these things swirling and all of the, the baggage with what Trump's been saying about so many different groups, you know, I'm not going to put any kind of blame uh, for that tweet. 
only to say that it's important for us to recognize, and McLean's actually did a great feature on this, where they looked at sort of the rise of all of these anti-Trudeau websites that have emerged since his election, specifically because of the government's policy on refugees and wanting to bring in refugees to Canada generally. And so there is this, this movement that's, you know, building against these types of policies. And Trudeau is just, you know, a symbol of that. And so it's not surprising. It's not surprising that, you know, the tweet would potentially uh, anger people, and it did. And I think that the government does have to be very wary of, of how they approach these issues because it's, you know, you've got so many that are trying to cause division uh, where the intention is really to bring people together. Yeah, I think it's it's such a delicate thing to deal with because, of course, everyone was thrilled to read that tweet. Everybody wanted to see some humanity or some sense of our values re reflected in policy. It's a horror show to see this from Bissonnette's point of view and how it played into the narrative that all of those sources were telling him, who are also telling him that, you know, Justin Trudeau is emblematic, personifies the idiot cuckold uh, West that doesn't understand what's been happening to them and is, is rolling out a welcome mat. Now, if that were true that Canada was actually welcoming those refugees and then it resulted, uh, then I might have a different response to this. But mm -hmm. it does bring up to me something that you brought up, which is just that the degree to which Muslim lives are used symbolically, both by those who are propagating Islamophobic narratives and who are positioning themselves on the other side of that, when it is just, call it virtue signaling, call, call it meme warfare, there are consequences to throwing up signifiers, especially when you hold a powerful office like that. Amira, I, I think that a show like this needs to talk about this and keep talking about this. And I'm really mm -hmm. interested in the relationship between propaganda, ideology, and action and consequence. So uh, in the months ahead, I, I want to bring our listeners more of this. But uh, yeah, let's leave it there sure. for now. And, and uh, thanks for your thoughts on it. You're welcome. Amira, you are familiar with our practice on shortcuts of noting duly that which must be duly noted? Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, do you have something <laughs> that you yeah. would like to note for us? Well, I mean, it's it, I do. A friend of mine, a former colleague of mine, Ev Torres, is actually the first woman in a headscarf to run for political office at the provincial level in Quebec. And I, I think this should be duly noted because she's an incredibly courageous woman and already the Quebec media is going at her, calling her an Islamist from Lise Ravery in uh, Le Journal, another columnist, Denise Bombardeau, showing a picture of her with a headline, Our Dark Future. And so it's, it's oh. really... Uh, yeah, it's awful. You know, she's really putting herself out there. I'm really proud of her effort to, to you know, make sure that, you know, the diversity of Quebec is seen and represented in political office. And, you know, it's just sickening. It's sickening that even with this massacre, even with this trial going on, that people just won't let up. You know what? I remember right after the massacre, there was some sense of contrition from a lot of the shock jock talk radio people in Quebec. Mm -hmm. And I believe from the Journal de Montréal columnists who, uh, who we now know Bissonnette was reading. And, and there was some sense that they, they were taking some, we need to tone it down. Yep. And uh, th that didn't last so long, huh? Not at all. All right, duly noted. I would like to duly note some problematic premiers that we have in this country. I got a couple. Uh, the first, I guess, would be Manitoba Premier Brian Pallister, who has threatened to sue the Winnipeg Free Press after they reported that he owes taxes on his uh, luxury home in Costa Rica. He says it's not true. The Free Press says, no, we stand by reporting it is true. Pallister has sent them notice and, and his initial steps towards a libel lawsuit, and he has demanded an apology he demands that the apology run on the front page of the Winnipeg Free Press. He has demanded that the apology include a photo of him of his choosing. And he has demanded that they name their source as to how they got this information that he was uh, owing taxes on this property. So that's one problematic premier. And I have another one, Nova Scotia Premier Stephen McNeil, who claims that this teenager 
who has been charged with, what is it, improper use of a computer? The premier has weighed in on this case to say that these documents were stolen from the government. And I want to tell people a little bit about this. I know the word of this has gotten around. And I want to actually also duly note the fine journalism the CBC has been doing on this. Mm -hmm. Because what this teenager did, this 19-year-old, was looking at the open ATIP section of the government's website, where as soon as somebody files uh, for information from a government and it's released to one person who's requested it, the practice with ATIPs is supposed to be that you make it public to all. And that was the portal that this 19-year-old was looking for information about a teacher's labor issue in Nova Scotia. And I don't know if you've ever discovered this, Amira, when you're at a website and you see the URL just has some like random numbers at the top. Uh, stat, mm -hmm. like, and, and, yeah. and, you, and you're just like, oh, what if I change those numbers? And then you get a different document. They've got some kind of randomized system. And so this teenager noticed that and just started entering in different numbers and saw that all this other seemingly public information, because it's on the public uh, internet, because it's on the ATIP site. And this was a computer savvy young person who wrote a one line script to just randomize these numbers and download this to any rational person, seemingly public information. And in doing so, because of the government's negligence, this mm -hmm. open database also included the uh, unredacted personal information of about 250 Nova Scotians. And that led to this outrageous police raid on this kid's house. He lives, with, right. his, lives yeah. with their parents. While they were sleeping, their house was raided. 15 cops in the house. Younger sibling was arrested on their way to high school. Parents arrested. Uh, younger uh, sister was traumatized, taken to a police car, ransacked the house. And then the premier is weighing in to say, oh, this was theft. And besides duly noting what an idiot the premier is for saying that, I want to shout out to the CBC because I was a tech journalist for years and like just the amount of scaremongering in the press about hacking and hacking government files. But Brett Ruskin for the CBC explained mm -hmm. what I just explained and had a great visual aid where to the older audience of CBC <laughs> News Network, ran th this is not hacking and really illustrated this, I think, in a way that is just like that is what we want the CBC to be doing. And then another CBC reporter, Jack Julian, gave the full story of this police raid and it is becoming really an international news story. It got picked up by Boing Boing and others and I would like to heap as much shame as possible on this premier and as much praise as possible on the CBC for doing their job so well. We have some problematic premiers. I don't know, has Patrick Brown come through with his lawsuit against CTV? Would-be premier? Would-be uh, but non-premier Patrick Brown? Lots of problematic premiers and possible but not preventable premiers. I apologize for the alliteration. Please stop me and say duly noted. <laughs> duly noted. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Amira, another break while I thank uh, our other sponsors today. We are brought to you by The Great Courses Plus. What is The Great Courses Plus? These are online courses and lectures. And the difference with this service, there's a lot of lectures you can watch online. A lot of them are not filmed very well or very easy to watch. And others you have to pay by the course and you find out by the second lesson that you have no interest in the course. With The Great Courses, you subscribe and then you have access to everything. And these are best in class, the best lectures from the top academics in the world. There is just information and education on anything you can possibly imagine. They have their own app. Also, unlimited access to listen to and watch lectures from the world's top professors experts, history, science, philosophy, learn a language. One course that they think that listeners of this podcast might be interested in, outsmart yourself, brain-based strategies to a better you. This is like mind hacking stuff. This is learning how you are efficient, how you think, how your memory works, how sleep plays into this. Interesting, sometimes surprising insights from a neuroscientist to improve your well-being. The special offer for listeners of Canada Land is a free month of unlimited access to all of their lectures. Here's how you get it. It is the Great Courses Plus, spell out the word, plus, dot com slash Canada Land. Again, that is a free month of all you can eat learning and information. Why not check this out at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash Canada Land. Finally. Today's episode is brought to you by our partners at CFUV who do the syndication for the show, CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. They want you to know that they have five new innovative podcasts. Ready? Here they are. Full Circle, discover the secret lives of the citizens of Victoria in their own words. All Access, all about exploring Victoria's local music scene. Taking Up Space, an intersectional feminist discussion that brings marginalized voices together. You in the Ring, opinions and viewpoints on what matters to students at UVic. Play on words, listen to radio turned on its head through parody and radio drama. It is awesome to see community and campus radio getting in on podcasting, and you can check this out anywhere that you subscribe to podcasts or go to CFUV podcasts.com. Amira, did you catch the Zuckerberg grilling? Absolutely. Both the Senate and the House? Yeah, I did. I, that was fun, it, huh? Yeah. Well, sure. If you like that kind of thing, listening to uh, a very powerful young guy, uh, you know, give these rote answers to uh, Congress people who I don't think really understand what he does and what Facebook actually can do. So it was it was I found it a little disappointing, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. You know what? Congress did better than the Senate. But but absolutely. It was it was uh, I mean, you know, I'm amused because it beats being disgusted, but you can be disgusted and amused at the same time. At least it happened. It was the simulation of accountability, but at least Zuckerberg sat there. And I mean, yeah. I bring it up because we can be damn sure that we're not going to see that happen in Canada and not just because Zuckerberg won't bother to come here. There is uh, some public accountability to Facebook that is coming up in Canada where Facebook is coming before the House of Commons Ethics Committee. But in anticipation of that, Alex Boudelier of the Toronto Star had a scoop. In anticipation of that, Facebook 
went to that committee and said, hey, does anyone want to meet with us privately before that public grilling? You know, we just want to um, brief you, give you, you know, you, you don't want to look dumb like those mm-hmm. senators, right? We, we can tell you what we're really up to. And this is just the next chapter in a story that I began to tell people uh, some time ago about Facebook's very problematic relationship with the liberal government here in Canada and You know, part of this was reported by McLean's recently where, you know, Google has like, I think it's eight registered lobbyists in Canada. Kevin Chan, who is Facebook's man in Canada, who has met with Finance Minister Bill Morneau, Heritage Minister Melanie Jolie, Minister of Democratic Institutions Karina Gould, Science Minister Kirsty Duncan, Liberal MP Rob Oliphant, just to begin, who has made public appearance after public appearance initiatives, partnerships with the government, who used to be an employee of the Liberal Party, uh, who was the policy guy for Ignatieff, who worked for the Privy Council Office. Kevin Chan is not a registered lobbyist here in Canada. It seems like all he does is try to influence Canadian policy, but there's a rule that unless mm. 20% of your mm. time is spent lobbying for policy specifically, uh, I guess that doesn't cover things like, you know, launching a Save the News project in partnership with Heritage, or they're going to save our democracy with Karina Gould. <laughs> Facebook is going to save, save our democracy. It, it just keeps, mm. you know, piling up. Mm. And I think that this is sort of a, you know, this relationship was crafted before Facebook fell into such ill repute in America. And I've yet to see any indication from Trudeau's government as as to how they're going to realign that relationship now that it's not such a great look to be BFFs with Facebook and with Kevin Chan. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, so first of all, Kevin Chan, I went to high school with Kevin Chan, so I remember him from the good old Gloucester Gator days. Uh, Oh, tell me about Kevin Chan. I want to know everything you know. Well, yeah, I mean, not a whole lot. He was very studious, as I recall, and a very nice guy, though. And I've since, you know, run into him here in Ottawa, like at government uh, events. I was at an event around digital inclusion and, you know, what's going on online with hate. And I remember, you know, he was part of the panel and people were, you know, academics and activists and whatnot were asking him really some really tough questions. This is last year. And he was, you know, he was very good at not answering those questions. And one of the key questions <laughs> was, what was, you know, what is Facebook's responsibility to the public good and to ensure that, um, you know, that information is being protected, that hate is being addressed online. And people were saying, you know, Facebook needs to see itself as a public utility. It is not, you know, just in it for the money. It does have some responsibility. Of course, you know, he was very evasive on that, did not want to get into that at all. So I can definitely see that Facebook is is trying to find a way to seem to be addressing all these concerns of late. Um, but Haroon Siddiqui actually wrote an uh, excellent two-parter in the Toronto Star uh, lambasting the government for not doing a lot more on Facebook. And so definitely, I think, you know, it's time. It's time. The cows are coming home and there has to be some action. And I think we can look to Europe, to some of, you know, the German government on some of the way that it's been reigning in Facebook. And again, it, it all pulls into privacy, into the promotion of hatred, the promotion of all these attitudes that we've been just talking at the top of the show. So, you know, I definitely uh, think that the parliamentarians who are going to be hearing about Facebook also need to make sure that they're not just sort of accepting whatever they're told. I hope they're going to get some pretty good expert testimony, independent experts, because you can't know what to do with Facebook simply by taking Facebook's word. Absolutely not. And I want to know why it had to be leaked to Alex Boudelier at the Toronto Star that these closed door meetings were uh, at least uh, propositioned by Facebook, if not had. I want to know why the Liberal government didn't expose that themselves. Basically, I'm sure that Kevin Chan's a really nice guy. He seems like the perfect guy for Facebook, given his background. I simply don't feel like 
this guy is independent enough of connections for us to trust the Liberal Party to deal with him in, in a transparent way. I mean, it goes on and on. He is on the advisory board of Canada 2020, this think tank, which is like it was nonpartisan, but completely Liberal Party affiliated. What confidence can we have that this isn't all happening in secret? And, you know, they try to get ahead of things because like CSE, you know, our, our, our digital spies were already warning us that fraud on Facebook is going to play a big role in the next election. Facebook tried to get ahead of that with this Karina Gould initiative. And I'll just give like this one other thing here that raises an eyebrow for me. Months and months and months ago, Facebook said, we're going to test something out in Canada where we're going to offer transparency on political ads. We're going to make it possible for people to know where's your ad coming from, who paid for it, and this kind of thing. All we've seen is a proliferation of these hatchety Ontario Proud type players in the political space on Facebook since then. And now we have this effort from ProPublica. They have this like, you know, Chrome Firefox extension that they built where if you see a Facebook ad that looks political in nature, if you've installed this extension, it sends it to a public database that ProPublica maintains. And it even includes that information. You know, why am I seeing this? Ad? Well, you're seeing this ad because, you know, Doug Ford is targeting, you know, Canadians who have bought ring pops and are between the ages of 18 and 18 and a half, you know, because right now it's becoming harder and harder to hold politicians accountable to their messaging because we each get different messages. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. uh, this is a tangent, but bear with me. They have partnered with the Globe and Mail and with the CBC who are rolling out this extension in Canada so that we can suck up political ads, send them to ProPublica, have the CBC and Globe and Mail analyze them. I'm trying to get clarity as to whether or not anyone publicly can see this list of political ads. And uh, even there, I'm a little bit hazy because if you have the extension installed, apparently you can see this public database of political ads. I don't know how you get to it if you don't have the extension installed. I installed the extension and I'm still waiting to find out how I get to that public database. I want to see these ads. And then it's equally confusing when you just try to get to like Facebook's own initiative. Like they announced this thing for transparency in political ads months and months ago. And I'm clicking around Facebook and trying to find, show me the list of Canadian political advertisements and what are the different ads and where they're coming from and why. And I'm sure I'm going to, you know, it exists somewhere. Someone's going to send me the link to it. But I, I was just curious if a layperson, if an end user could find this thing easily. And it is like completely obscured from view. So I take all of these gestures as you know, preventative, meaningless, conciliatory, just trying to to prevent government from forcing these measures by appearing to be doing it on their own accord. And those photo ops are done in partnership with government. I think we need, we mm -hmm. need to just mm -hmm. raise a stink about it because I don't trust this government to, to reign in Facebook at all. Well, I don't think we should trust any government. So we need to be listening to the like the experts that are out there, the policy experts, the, the data experts. And there are a whole bunch of them. And actually in Toronto, Toronto's really lucky. Next month in May, there's going to be this huge conference with like hundreds, if not thousands of people from around the world. It's called RightsCon. And I'm super pumped for it. It's all about human rights in, in, in the digital space. And they, you know, I was there last year in Brussels. This year it's in Toronto. And basically, you know, they the talk is of, of how the governments are really failing to do right by the online world and all the repercussions and ramifications that that has for for everyone, for democracy itself. So yeah, no, it, we should not trust government on this as this is a huge, huge, powerful space. And we need to hear from, you know, those who have been doing a lot of work around this to understand how it all plays out. Amira, thank you. You're welcome, Jesse. It's been, it's been a great time. I had a lot of fun talking with you. That is your Canada Land Shortcuts for this week. 
Anybody can email me about it at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything that you send. We are on Twitter at Canadaland. Amira, where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter at Amira Al-Gawabi, A-M-I-R-A, and then E-L-G-H-A-W-A-B-Y. That's where I am. My email's there, too. Our website is canadalandshow.com. We post news stories there all the time. We have an RSS feed of those news stories. You can also find us on Facebook or at our crowdfunding site, patreon.com slash canadaland. This episode was produced by David Crosby. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. And if you like what we do, please support us on Patreon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.